When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. Sushi Blue at Blue Lake Casino Hotel is Humboldt's newest sushi sensation. Hi, my name is Jacob, and I am the head sushi chef at Sushi Blue in Blue Lake Casino. I've been doing sushi for over 20 years and love what I do. I enjoy creating dishes using local produce, sustainable seafood, and lime cod. I trained in Hawaii and wine country, and now living in Humboldt, I'm so excited to share my talents with you. Experience Sushi Blue today. More slots, more tables, more Sushi Blue. Welcome to Blue Lake Casino Hotel. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 101, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by my co-host for the day, Levon, better known as at Barcelev from the Kool-Aid Corner. I'll let him describe that in just a second, and again, you want Unmissable Opinions. This is one of the main guys on Barcelona Twitter that speaks his mind, but also has a lot of thoughtful things to say. And speaking of Twitter, you can follow us 
at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, which we'll be hearing about later in La Ronda as they get to ask the questions. If you want to ask a question, it's tbpod.link backslash groups. We also have some deeper dive conversations and discussions there. And finally, you can always help us out on Patreon to make more of these shows. Again, our Patreons are really what just help us make this one show a week, and we do have some things planned in the future, but more on that in future episodes. If any of that was confusing to you, obviously the one place you can get everything is in the show notes. You can tap down in your app or on the website wherever you're listening to this show, and you can get all the goodies there and find all the links and connections you need. Well, without further ado, I again want to introduce my guest, Lavon, but further here known as Barca Lev. And I'll let you break down what Kool-Aid Corner is. I, I love the moniker you gave it before the show to me when we were discussing exactly what it is that Kool-Aid Corner is and, and, and where it fits in the conversation. Right, yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me, Dan. Uh, it's an honor to be on your show. I'm, a, I'm an avid listener. Um, the Kool-Aid Corner, well, what I, what I told Dan right before we started is that we're kind of like the, uh, the explicit, the uh, profanity-laced version of, uh, of what you guys do. We take no prisoners and we speak our mind and we mess around a lot also it was like a mixture between banter and uh and insights uh it's with marin mostly with marin and uh two guys from holland iso and noel both have excellent uh football knowledge even though we don't always agree on everything but uh there's always good back and forth and our listeners here will know noel he is a two-time one person interview and also a guest co-host as well on this show so noel always bringing a lot of big things and the name frankie de young always comes up in those conversations as well true true he's a big fan and he's an ajax fan also so he wa- he actually watches de young unlike most of us yeah certainly him him and him and delict well we're not going to be actually talking about i don't want to say the future of barcelona but we're going to be talking about this past weekend and in typical fashion Obviously, we don't really review the games. We don't do those deep dives just yet again. Things potentially happening in the future. But the main topic that we have garnered from the week's game is our La Gran Pagunta today. And that is how important are outside factors, that's including VAR, weather, pitch conditions, in the course of a season and how that affects trophies. And the reason I kind of started thinking about this to break it down to the context of VAR, which worked in Barcelona's favor this past weekend, obviously that goal in stoppage time being pulled back after not only did the assistant referee have the flag up, so it would have been the right call anyway, but VAR just confirmed the decision for everyone. So you saw the Valladolid players who obviously were celebrating with much grandeur, but they weren't able to finish their celebration. But they also agreed with the call, knowing that not only did the assistant referee see it with his eyes, but VAR got it right. The reason this comes up is in 2014, the goal that was ruled out in the final game of the season against Atletico Madrid, which was in fact a goal that probably helped Barcelona to cede the title to Atletico Madrid. 2017, the ball goes over the line at Real Betis, ends in a draw. Of course, we remember Real Madrid won the title that year. And then last season at Valencia, an assistant got the call right, but goal was ruled out. And while Barcelona did wind up winning on, going on to win La Liga, there's a lot of different things to think with VIR where they say that fans remember what goes against them, but they don't remember what goes for them. And so I do want to make it a point that it seems for Barcelona, VAR is going to be a helpful tool. And I hope that not only do the players get around to it, you'd expect the players won't eventually, won't ever trust it because obviously players want every decision to go their way. But for the fans, I just hope the league of fans start to put a little more trust in that technology and know that it's 
even if things are wrong, it's always trying to be objective and get things right. Exactly. And of course, those were just some of the examples of calls that went against us. But uh, over the last couple of seasons, well, over the last couple of lifetimes, uh, there are also a lot of uh, just offside goals that Madrid is being given because they sometimes get given uh, the benefit of the doubt and usually a little bit more than uh, than we do. Not as much as uh, Sport or Mundo Deportivo would have you believe, but undeniably so. So I think VAR will be, uh, will be huge. Um, ironically, I've always said that the moment that they implement the video assistant referee, it will cost us a title because it will be exactly like the first year that they implement it will be the year that those calls will go against us. But we'll see. I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, uh, with its implementation. I've been screaming for this for years now. So let's see, let's see how it goes. Yeah, it seems like VAR was a bright spot throughout the entire league in the Liga for these first two weeks so far. The thing that wasn't so pleasant was obviously the pitch at Valladolid. It's the thing that's dominating the headlines. And while it is unfortunate for the Valladolid players, because as their manager said, that they are a team that have professional footballers too, and they were having to play on the same awful turf. But that said... Barcelona fans, and we're getting a lot of different questions on social media and things, just asking, you know, we saw, I'd say a poor performance from Messi and a a rather opaque performance from Coutinho as well. And you think about those two guys who have the ball on the ground, who have the ball at their feet, and neither of them could really get going. There was no rhythm. There was no fluidity. Barcelona got the three points. No one got injured, as Pique and Busquets had said. So for me, it, it winds up being a win. I think everyone would agree with that. But I, I don't think, unfortunately, you can take much out of this. And obviously, for those who are just tuning in late to this, the Valladolid, the whole story was that they, the sod was popping up, obviously, whenever a player put a single foot down. At halftime, groundskeepers tried to rectify some of it, but to no avail. And when that happens, the ball loses so much speed on that kind of surface. Obviously, players don't have proper footing, and, and you're kind of treading on, on what winds up being a very marshy place and Valladolid didn't lay down that turf until Thursday that's part of the big reason so the sod didn't have the time that it takes to to root into the ground and I mean the question would be would they have been better to play on the grass that was there before the sodding but again that's a mute point the bigger question that we're trying to figure out is when you have those kind of pitch conditions do you kind of take it as a wash and say yeah I know the fluidity I know the rhythm of the game wasn't there Messi just I mean again I, I don't think of a time when he was uh we'll say that unknown particularly in the first half he came alive a little in the second but Coutinho I think was the same way he had very few bright spots in the whole game so do you find that to be something you think about do you take heed to that or because of the pitch conditions do you just throw that out you throw it out I thought I thought Coutinho had a very good first half by the way uh he um he let he said racket is loose to uh, to square that ball to uh, to Suarez. He also put Suarez one on one with the goalkeeper. I think he's doing fine uh, uh, as an interior. But I mean, on, on on this pitch, you can't really judge anybody. I asked after the game. I asked like people I know, and I also asked on Twitter if they've ever played on a pitch like this because I played football when I was a kid, uh, like most people in Europe uh, or most guys who are still into football. Um, in Europe, if they're into it, most of them have played it at some point. So even even at an amateur youth level, I have never played on a pitch as bad as the pitch that Valladolid uh, offered up. It's absurd. And the the excuse of you know they laid the pitch four days ago, like they had a whole summer to to prepare the pitch. 
So it's not because they don't have money to to plant the grass. Like it's it, it was just ridiculous. If up to me, you uh, offer a pitch like that, it should be an automatic loss for your team because you can't play football on it. Um, it's different with when the grass is longer than uh, Xavi Hernandez likes. You know, this pitch was just unplayable. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I think the thing you can then ask next is what obviously is going to be the punishment because if I lead as admitted fault, which obviously there's no rectification of that, that the, the, it's already been done. And for me, it's unfortunate because they were the last team promoted. So they came up in, in the middle of June. And while they had less time and they also do have the smallest budget, a field is a field. And if you're playing in the league, that's the whole outrage by this. And that's what Busquets said in his comments that this is a league a team this is a, a, a league that says they're the best in the world and obviously they're a top one two three cl- um, league in the entire in the enti- entire globe and so to ha- not have a, a pitch that's not only up to standards but to, to just be that lackluster in the second week of a season uh, that's the real shame and unfortunately for via the lead if they're let's say docked points there's a very good there's a very good chance that they won't survive from that because when we talk about points the one team that I picked out is saying, obviously, they're going to get relegated is Espanyol, and they're already picking up points, and so that's an egg on my face at least two weeks in, and so that means that if Espanyol is going to be able to turn some things around, there's going to be less easy targets to try to pick off at the bottom, and if you dock a team that's barely going to survive anyway, if not get relegated, when, they, when they're able to capture points, if you take those away, they're dead in the water. And when I, when I was really thinking about you know, the weather and the different pitches, it's funny about that standard, because, again, that's a big outrage that this was a Liga match. You think back to, I think about Stanford Bridge, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, or, or Loftus Road, where Queen, Queen's Park Rangers plays. Or even, I was looking at pictures of Arsenal's old Highbury Stadium before, obviously, the, 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 the cathedral that is the, the um, Emirates Stadium came to be. But before that, some of those, those, those English stadiums and this is big clubs we're talking Chelsea Queens Park Rangers Arsenal we're just awful places to play and obviously in the U.S. I'm a little biased too where I have to see games on baseball fields and which is which is embarrassing enough but particularly if you go to try to see a women's game talking about a lack of equality they're almost always forced to play on turf which is never where a professional soccer match should be played and th- that's just the fields itself and you can't really control the weather but pitch conditions should be something that they, they at least can give their best try at. And so, again, when you have them playing on places where they shouldn't be playing, you know, in the U.S., I, I think, that, you know, I hope that they could just have a, a football field, a proper field to be, to be playing on and not necessarily a baseball field or anything like that. But La Liga should be better. That's just, that's just a simple fact. I think that's the hypothesis of that whole little rant there. But it, La Liga has to be better. Yeah, definitely. It's ridiculous. I've lived all over the world and I've never seen anything like this. Some some of the pitches in, in South America are awful, but not not like this. And like I said, not even on at a youth level. I've played on on pitches like this and, and I've I've had people like replying to my my questions from um, from India and they're like, Nope, never this bad <laughs> you know, so Yeah. There you go. I was even doing a little more digging, speaking of, of, of those worst pitches ever and I, I did find a fun list, I think it was on Bleach Report or something where they, they ran down from at least uh, the last few years some of the worst pitches ever. And to, one of them was in the Kazakhstan League. You had one in um, the South African League where it was just a, there was a power outage and then a thunderstorm and then gale force winds. In Kazakhstan, it was a waterlogged pitch. And you, you have ones with, you have pitches that you can read about in Ukraine that have 
you know, uh, nuclear facilities that are too close, so they've been shut down. And then in, in England, of course, in the 50s, there was a lot of heavy fog. You had an FA Cup match between Newcastle and Swansea, uh, and, and Swansea that was shut down after about eight minutes of time. And then the best one I, I, I had of all the weather, all the conditions, whatever it may be, I think the best cancellation ever was a, a Torque United versus Portsmouth. First round of the League Cup in 1999, match postponed due to the first total eclipse of the sun since 1927. Police saying they didn't have the proper personnel to both watch the match and everything involved with the eclipse. And I think that's that's oh, that a, makes sense. Yeah, that's the best cancellation I've ever heard. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it, it's it's actually I read a huge article about this. It's very difficult uh, to to plan a football schedule, uh, the calendar properly. Uh, because you have to always have to take the police's schedule into account as well. But anyway, maybe if uh, if the, if La Liga is not going to dock points, and, and I doubt they will because they have like La Liga and Spain in general has the logic of a Salvatore Dali painting. So if they're not going to dock <laughs> points, maybe what they could do is send um, Valladolid to Kazakhstan for the next home game and have it played there. Yeah, I mean, if the, the you, well, this is bringing us right into La Ronda. We have a question from Rick about Liga and their talk about the U.S. But yeah, I think players would be even more outraged if they send them to Kazakhstan for league games as opposed to coming to the U.S. Um, but that said, it's a, it's a marketing opportunity. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Well, well, that's it. Well, that's an <laughs> well, that is an, an interesting um, tactic. I think that you heard that Barcelona players make is that they did use that opportunity as a platform to. Uh, also mention their disdain for the Liga plans to play in the U.S. And, you know, being in the U.S., the, the match is going to be in Miami, so obviously that's going to be, you know, that's a, what, a four-hour plane ride for me as opposed to just an eight-hour plane ride to Barcelona. And so Rick asked in our first question of La Ronda, what do you think about the Liga announcement that several matches will be played in the U.S.? And, again, in year one at least, the whole thing would probably be, and, and again, rumors serve right, and it makes sense to have Girona versus Barcelona, um, and Jerome obviously being the, the secondary team to Barcelona and obviously their rabid fan base in Miami. Is it a good idea to expand the global brand of a league and allow fans in the U.S. to watch the best league in the world? Or is it a mere money-grabbing scheme which puts too much stress on the players who seem against the idea? And the wrinkle that I'm going to add in, um, and I, I know Barcelev how much you might like uh, a few conspiracy theories, but Sid Lowe had on uh, the football podcast on, on, on their weekly show, he had the, the conspiracy theory that the La Liga might be thinking that it's a good idea to put a, a Catalan derby and obviously Girona coming out more than Espanyol and Barcelona and, and Kules around that area. But in Girona, that is really where you see resistance and you see that the, the, the Catalan independence movement and, and that's where it really does come vocal and into fruition. So to put one of the Catalan derbies where you, you're going to get the, the most vocal outrage about Catalan independence and about the whole movement and putting it in the U.S. will quiet that and that was a theory that Sid Lowe had and I think that might be a little far-fetched but for me even in the U.S. I think it's silly to have a pitch at Valladolid in the in the mess that it is and then be working on trying to get out of La Liga anywhere or have matches in the U.S. I, I think La Liga has to stay at home and worry about their own business and I don't see the problem with the ICC over the summertime coming to the U.S. That makes the most sense to me. That's what grows the game. And fans will still show up if it's a friendly. I mean, if I have a chance to see Messi, I don't care if he's playing without cleats, if he's just running around the field, knocking around a soccer ball. People want to see Messi no matter what he's doing on the field, in, in no matter what the circumstances are. And having 
the ICC, I think, does the trick. I mean, if they even want to use the winter break and have some kind of glorified friendly over here as well, um, some kind of all-star game of La Liga, if you will, do that in the winter break, but don't have actual La Liga games in the U.S. It just it throws off the entire season. The travel is ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense to me either. From the beginning, I have a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I don't think that Sid, I had not heard Sidlow's theory from Sidlow, but the moment that I heard, oh, it's Ginoda, Girona against uh, Barcelona, that's the game they're going to play in Miami, I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> right. Right, that's, that's more than just a coincidence. Um, but leave, leaving politics aside, the moment that I heard the decision, I was not, I'm, I'm not against a league match being played uh, in, in, in the States um, because I know that I think the NBA and the NFL do the same thing they play in London they yep. play in Shanghai whatnot. Yep. Yep. Um, I think baseball plays in Japan sometimes which makes sense because baseball is huge in Japan so I, I'm not that much uh, against the idea what, what I was scared of immediately was its implementation because these guys can't even get things in their own country right so how do I expect them to uh, to organize this correctly? Right. It, it will make sense to me if you say, you know what, um, a lot of like the, the big teams, they have their summer tournaments in the States. Their, their preseason is in the States. Why don't we play the first match of the season in the States? Well, that's that is what that's usually what the NBA will do. And that's you mentioned right. that that's that's the best idea. While the players are already traveling, have them just play the match, not say get it out of the way, but just, yeah, basically get it done. And then you go over and your the rest of your time is in Spain. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like that will make sense. And, and if not that, then let it be the first match uh, after the winter break, because it's the least disruptive. You don't you don't do it in March when uh, the calendars are already full, when the big teams that are involved uh, already have to like fight on two or three fronts for, for different competitions. That's not when you do it. You do it right after the winter break or the first match of the season. But like I said, like the people in charge of this league, um, just like the people in charge of the country, don't take the most logical decisions. Yeah, I mean, I... Completely, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's. I, I like the idea that it is doable. It's funny that the person not in the U.S. is the one saying that they think it's doable. But yeah, I think you've got a good idea there. I think the other thing is, and and, and this is what I hear from people in the states, is that uh, it's not that easy to actually see the games on TV, as opposed to the Premier League. Um, and I think that is a bigger issue than whether you're going to play one match in Miami or not, because you're going to find fans in Miami who go to the game it does not really do much for the exposure uh, of the sport in such in such a big country it's not like the NBA that, com- that comes to London and London is pretty much the epicenter of England and even those uh, NBA fans who um, those NBA fans who do not live in London will come to London because England is not that big to begin with um, and it's not as if American fans don't have access to uh, to the sport as a whole. Because if you're a basketball fan in Europe and you have the chance to go to an NBA game, I mean, NBA is the only good basketball league if you compare it to all of the others. Right. Whereas La Liga still has to compete with um, with with other leagues. So it's not as if you know all of a sudden Americans are going to see football for the first time or soccer for the first time. Um, so I would think that the, the main issue that they need to tackle is that La Liga has the same kind of exposure on on TV and I understand that um, the Premier League is on is on well, it's on NBC 
Right. And it's pretty much everybody can see it. Everybody can get it. Whereas La Liga, you really have to like find and pay for pay for a package in order to receive it. You're not gonna like a, a regular kid who who is bored is not gonna sit sit behind his TV and uh, switch from channel to channel to channel and just stumble on the Liga game and fall in love with it. No, the only people who watch it are the people who already who are already interested in it for some reason, and then they pay for the package. Right. Yeah. And what we've alluded to that in in past in recent episodes, we're getting questions about this about the U.S. where you know BN Sports is having a fight with Con with Comcast, but the big thing is that BN Sports is in the U.S. on most cable packages or even on whether it's those 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 smaller packages or whether you have a Fire Stick, Amazon, whatever it may be, they wind up being on the sports exclusives. So it winds up being a lot more. So if you just have the basic of, of anything, you're going to get NBC with the Premier League. You're going to get uh, the Bundesliga, which is on Fox Sports or, or, or Big Fox. And you're going to get the, those other leagues, but you're not going to get La Liga. And, and that's a big thing against, against the country. Well, let's move on from the TV rights, but we're going to actually stay in the Bundesliga for just a second. Uh, Javier had asked earlier, should we send Paco out on loan, and that being Paco Akather, but now he's already with Borussia Dortmund, so you'll be able to see him with Dortmund, and Ted kind of adds on to that, and with Paco gone, if when Suarez needs a rest, and we'll say not Suarez when he needs a rest, but Suarez should be resting, Valverde should not be playing him too much, particularly the beginning half of this season where you have so many matches in the second half in the spring. Would that move Messi to the false nine with Malcolm and Dembele in the front or moving Coutinho forward on the left and bring Roberto to the midfield with that tremendous speed on the right, Ted says, with Semedo, Sergio Roberto, Dembele, this formation, and plus a strong defense, he thinks that that would be something that would work. So do you see a Malcolm, Dembele, Messi, false nine if Suarez needs a rest or is it going to be only when Munir is in there, and that's what Minor asked. And another question, with Paco out of the picture, Munir's success, it's unpredictable. Does that mean that uh, Munir's going to have to be plugged in every single time, or do you think they're going to go with Messi at the false nine? I mean, when Suarez needs a rest, did he not just come back from vacation? How is he playing right now? Not too good, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, he always starts slow. We know that. I mean, last year was even uh, worse than I, this year. I don't, I don't get this. He always starts slow because he's been with us. This is his fifth year with us. His first year, he started slow because, hey, he, he couldn't start playing until October because he had that vampire ban that he was given. <laughs> so, of, of, of course, he started slow. It's normal. Then the next season, he played well. And then after that, he started slow, but he didn't really end that fast either. He's just been yeah. bad. And even though last season he started... He started slow, he was horrible, and then he started scoring, but he never really started playing as well either. It's been two and a half years that, he, that the guy does not create his own scoring opportunities anymore. He's completely dependent on uh, on receiving service. Now, if up to me, how do I solve it? Yeah, you can play Messi as a false nine and put, uh, them surround them with Dembele and Malcolm. Uh, then you don't have any wingers to come off the bench anymore. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Coutinho at left wing. I really feel that if we pay 160 million euros to uh, uh, to replace Iniesta, that we should see it out and give him the time to to adapt to Iniesta's position. Um, the other the other problem that I see if you have Coutinho, any combination of Coutinho, Messi, uh, Dembele, and and Malcolm, you don't really have anybody there in that front line that likes to make that run into space 
and especially with Dembélé and Coutinho and Messi, you have three players who love to either make the through, uh, make a through ball, play a through ball, or um, and Dembélé he likes to go outside and cross it in. Uh, so you, you're stuck with nobody who actually makes the runs that Suarez at least used to make. For me, I would bench Suarez as soon as possible and just start playing Monier. Yeah. And see what he does. Because if Munir scores 14 goals in 36 games for Alaves, uh, Suarez scored 25 in 33. Um, then again, Barcelona scored 99 goals in total over the whole season. And Alaves scored 40 goals in total. So I think if if you trust Munir, he's going to get you 20 goals. So anywhere between 15 and 20. However, the other thing that he gives you, he, he will run his off, he'll press you pass him the ball, he can lay it off to other players. Uh, he can, he's, he's a very intelligent, like, he knows how to combine and um, find his teammates. And that's the biggest problem with Suarez. People get on Suarez's case when he does not score or when he misses uh, easy, easy chances. That has never been my problem with a striker. Because as long as a striker keeps getting into positions, he's going he's gonna to he's gonna end up scoring. Uh, the biggest thing for a striker is to actually put himself in the position to score. After that, a conversion rate is always going to be around 20%, 25%. Um, So the the, the great skill of a a striker is to actually put himself at the right spot at the right time. Now, the ability of a player to put himself at the right spot at the right time decreases greatly if that player cannot receive a pass anymore because it bounces off his feet. Yeah. If that player, when he receives a pass and he doesn't, and he controls the ball and wants to pass it to his teammate who's five yards to the left of him completely miss hits the ball and loses possession like if, if a player cannot control the ball if a player cannot make simple passes if the player makes a run but he, he becomes so slow that he just misses the ball like we saw uh, in the first game to come now against Alaves then that player is not going to put himself into positions to score anymore and even if he gets the goals Everything else that Suarez used to give give us, because his greatest asset was always this 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 amazing amazing energy that he had. Yeah. Like we we've lost that. Suarez, Suarez as a poacher is no good to us. Right. We already have we already have Messi. You you cannot you cannot afford two players who are who don't do anything on defense in one team. So I I prefer Munir, and if Munir only scores 15 goals in the season, as a team we will still be better off than with Suarez, even if Suarez starts scoring again. But that's my opinion. Well, I mean, spatially, and that's kind of how it works, that the more attention that that number nine pulls away, uh, any little bit that they pull away and gives Messi any more space in the attacking third of the other team, that's the whole point, that even if Suarez had five goals this season but was constantly putting himself in the proper positions to give Messi those opportunities, obviously Barcelona is still going to win a lot of games if Messi scores 45 goals and Suarez scores five and now obviously it's a, a big ask of Messi but you're not really asking him that it happens organically when they're in the right spaces and that's the worrying thing for me about Suarez which again we talked about this Suarez was the whole topic of the Grand Pagunta last week due to not even to say the slow start but the fact that there are there's photographic evidence that he doesn't seem to be in the right spots to finish things but as you mentioned it's not even as a poacher I've been happy with the chances he's taking, his passing percentage is exactly what it's been in previous years, but the chances he obviously takes, I mean, it's his long ball to Sergi Roberto 
that he drops down with his head to Dembele for the one goal in that game. Suarez is going to continue to try things with his passing. He had the third assist to Messi for the, for the third goal, should I say, against Alaves. And I've been happy with that. But as you mentioned, absolutely. The worrying thing is, regardless of age, a guy's first touch is a guy's first touch. And if Suarez seemingly is, is losing that first touch, losing the ability to just control the ball and bring it in like he's used to doing, that to me is the most worrying sign of all, not necessarily just being able to run behind defenders. Like we knew that obviously every player slows down. He's not going to be able to make those runs in behind like he used to. He's not going to be able to use that high energy like he used to. But as you mentioned, if he's losing effectiveness, he's there's not really going to be a spot for him. And I'm, and I'm going to transition this a little bit into talking about the midfield where you had mentioned that you don't see Coutinho as that left wing. And with Palco now out of the picture, um, I, this is a question also coming from Ellie and, and Minar's second part of this, that it seems like Rafinha might still be in the squad. And while Samper got a number that's official today, he most likely won't be getting a lot of time. He'll basically just be taking that number 16 and putting it on the bench. Because even when he recovers, Samper is, is a long shot to make this team, but he's also always seemingly injured. And Rafinha, while always injured as well, certainly is a player that can play and should play when he does. And Ellie also asked, thoughts on Barcelona reportedly one last time going for Rabiot from PSG. And while I still don't think that's going to happen, I mean, let's say a nightmare scenario, not a nightmare scenario, but let's say Rabiot is brought and Rafinha stays. Now you really do have a logjam in the middle. And as you mentioned, other than Munir, not too many options for guys who are going to play defense up top. And I think for me, kind of going off what you said if Coutinho is going to be that left interior we've seen Rafinha play out on the wing and I almost feel bad for Rafinha who his best position is in the middle yet he's going to be forced up and out wide and for Denise Suarez who if you remember is still on the team as well he's going to definitely be playing on the wing as a backup to either Malcolm or Dembele I see moving forward and I don't think there's much of an option and I'm going to say that our last group of questions comes about Dembele so I'm going to ask you Barcelona just avoid Dembele in your answer here Okay, well, I think the only wing that Denis Suarez is gonna gonna be playing is like I don't know chicken wings behind his TV when when he's watching the games. So don't worry about Denis Suarez. He has a punk men- mentality anyway. Anytime that Denis Suarez is in an interview, he always comes up with like these weird answers like, "Oh, Busquets really loves me, so that's why I know that I'm gonna play here." I don't care what Busquets think about you. We we watch you play. Oh, Messi and I have a special connection. Great, you got an assist from Messi once. And he never, he never really brings it. Now, could Denis have done better with continuity? Sure, maybe, but it's been two, two seasons now, and I don't really see him as like his ceiling would be squad player. And if we have Carlos Alinha and Ricky Puig coming through, I prefer to give them all of those minutes over over Denis Suarez. As for Rafinha. Today I heard that he's on his way out, that finally he is going to Betis. We'll see what happens. Um, I mentioned before the game against Valladolid that I would have loved to see Ernesto Valverde start him in order to help Rafinha decide to stay, because I think he can be an extremely valuable player. And also when, um, right before he took off Dembélé, who was playing poorly, I thought, in the second half, I thought, well, you know, this would be the perfect the perfect time to put in Rafinha on, on that wing spot because he will he's smart in possession he does not lose the ball easily and he defends really well so I think if Rafinha does end up going that that would be a, a real shame 
Mm-hmm. As for Coutinho uh, in, in the midfield, I, I seem to be an outlier. I don't know why nobody wants to see him in midfield. I, I understood when he was first rumored to come, uh, and that was over the summer, um, one year ago. I had the same reaction, like, why would we get him if he's not a midfielder? Um, because he was rumored even before we knew that Neymar was going to leave. So I was like, well, why, why get somebody for the same position as Neymar? And in the midfield, does not make much sense. He does not play in midfield all that much. But then when you have Barcelona scouting them, and they are convinced, so convinced that he can play in midfield that they spend 160 million euros on the guy, which is, which is a crazy amount of money, no matter how you look at it. Then for God's sake, try him out in midfield and don't say after watching him play there for five, five games, see, he can't do it because obviously he's going to have to adapt. Even a midfielder coming to Barcelona needs to adapt because Barcelona is not like any other team. A midfielder will need to adapt no matter what team he goes to anyway, but especially Barcelona. Yeah. And also it's 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 a bit funny because how how do people judge Coutinho in midfield now? Because either like he's screwed either way that people look at it because if he scores or if he goes forward and scores from the midfield, people say, "Ah, oh, see, he's he's not offering any control. He's too vertical." And if he doesn't go forward, people are like, "Well, you know, we're used to seeing Coutinho shoot at goal and we're used to see him like dribbling past one or two players and we did not see him do that today, so he would, so he played badly." Yeah. Um, we've seen him in midfield two games now. I thought against uh, Alaves, he was very much in control. His passing was very good. He he switched play a couple of times. Uh, he was able to dribble himself out of uh, out of trouble also in midfield against Alaves. We saw him in midfield against Valladolid. And Valladolid is a, is a crazy game to judge players on because of the pitch. But like I mentioned earlier, he, he created uh, opportunities for, for his teammates. And he also had a pretty good shot on goal. Uh, I don't know what happened in the second half. It's just as if he disappeared. I don't know if that's a fitness issue. Uh, we'll see, but I, I like Coutinho in midfield, and I think we should stick with it. And I really like the idea of Balverde uh, playing him in midfield. I'm happy that he's doing this. Um, also because it means that Dembele is playing. Yeah, and I've I've liked his work rate as well, Coutinho in the midfield as far as just getting back defensively. And we know that that Busquets and Rakitic so far their task is really to, to just turn the the other team over, but. Barcelona's their their main theme always has has been to turn the other team over as far up the pitch as possible. That's never changed. That's that's in the mantra. That's what they do. And Coutinho, I, I like how hard he's worked defensively, just being able to stick a boot in. And he does have that timing. He has that ability. And while it's not a premier, uh, you know, it's not a top top level where he does that fun thing where you just you stick your boot in as the ball is rolling off the other guy's foot. Um, but I, I've been happy with his defensive work there. Well, Goss asked, will Boosie and the play- league's players change their minds about the game in the U.S.? We already covered that. So the final topic today, this is three questions we got about Usmani Dembele from Daniel, Carlos, and James. Daniel asks, what's Dembele's best position? Carlos, is this the year Dembele finally breaks out for us? And James, a little more cynical, Dembele loses the ball so much it's alarming. What are your thoughts on his play so far? And just as, like with Coutinho, um, I, I, you said it was a lose-lose, and while I think that is where it's going to come from the general media, I think it's a win-win situation where, I mean, I've said before that with Suarez in the, looking the way he he does, I would not be that surprised if Coutinho winds up finishing the year 
through all competitions for Barcelona with the second most goals on the team. And again, that's a really far-fetched idea, and you'd think, well, how can they succeed that way? But I think behind Messi, Coutinho is able to do those kind of things. Now, Dembele, the reason I said that and not Dembele being number two if Suarez isn't in the picture is because I think Dembele, having watched him in at, at Dortmund in the year that he really was finding his form and becoming the player he is, he worked hard defensively, which people are saying he's not doing much with Barcelona, which I kind of disagree. They said that Neymar, you know, Neymar worked his, his tush off, they say, and he backtracked a lot and helped Jordi Alba on that side. But for me, Dembele, what I've seen of his best position, his best position for Barcelona is going to be on the left wing. We know that Messi's going to be cutting in from the right, so Dembele is going to have to get comfortable on the left. And, and that said, I think what we've seen for France, and even when he switched to the left side with Dortmund while he primarily played on the right, I thought he was just as good. He's, he's as has always been a running joke with him, that he's not comfortable with either foot, but he's comfortable with both feet is, is the adage for Dembele. And I think what he's doing defensively is going to come with time. I think he's, it's going to take time for him to figure out positioning with Jordi Alba. And Jordi Alba is one of the most adventurous left-backs in the world. And as you said, it takes time to get used to not only the schemes, the passing, the chemistry, the one-twos with his attacking teammates, but defensively, those kind of things uh, take a, a little bit of um, El Tiempo as well. It's not that this is the year that Dembele is going to break out. He's already a good player. He was already uh, a player in France as a teenager with Renz who did break out. That was his breakout year. Then in Dortmund, he continued to polish his game as he went from, you know, his teenage years, turns 20. And then while he did have a bad first season with Barcelona, I think they're asking whether or not he's going to be this global superstar. And I think not for a little while. But again, I want to remind people that the kid is only 20 years old. And so as long as he's willing to put in the work defensively, and not necessarily succeed defensively, but as long as he's willing to try, and it does just takes a little bit of effort. That's why Valverde plays Sergio Roberto in the midfield in that what I guess is that four four two. He plays him on that that right midfield position because Roberto is going to work hard, is going to track back and help Semedo out, and it does establish the the just a defensive thinking on the right side of the field. My last thought about this, and now before I, I switch to you, is that. You know, people say that he's losing the ball too much. That's an alarming sign. And he's going to continue to go at defenses. And for me, if I'm just... I, I tried to uh, this weekend, and the shout-out to the New York Pena, uh, who who housed me for the game. And I was able to just watch it there. I'm watching with a, a whole group of people on the TV. So, again, I'm not analytically looking at it as I normally do, just watching it either by myself or just with my wife. And watching with a whole group of people, I thought Dembele's moments were, for me, the best of the game. And, yes, he had the goal... But every time Dembele has the ball, there's a belief that he's going to succeed. And I think that's the important thing. I, it may seem like he's being wasteful at the moment, but he gets so many opportunities to do that. And as long as Barcelona's defensive shape is there, they have the ability to turn the opponent over once Dembele loses the ball. Just get in that shape, and it's part of their game plan. It's part of their attack. And while I know it goes away from everything that Barcelona possession-wise has ever done, Dembele is a different player. And they have him, they have his talents. And just like you were talking about with Coutinho, I think it's best for Valverde and for Barcelona to maximize the skill sets of its players as opposed to just force-feeding certain ideas. Because the Barcelona ideas of keeping possession of the ball, being good on the ball, being technical, and, and working hard defensively, working to turn your opponent up field, I think all of those foundations can still be there. And they can still play, because of the quality they have, the Barcelona way. 
individually using the skill sets of your players is how you're going to win games in the modern game. And I think it would almost be silly for Barcelona not to adapt with that. But again, always have those Cruyffian ideas and again, what Guard- really those Guardolian ideas at their foundation. I think Dembele can be a part of that. And I- I'm going to be positive about him until he goes on some crazy dry spell because every goal that he gets from me is consolation. He's a creator first and foremost, and we saw he did plenty of that. And if not for the pitch, I think he would have done even more. There was plenty of times if you wa- there's a whole tape of, uh, of somebody on YouTube put like two minutes of Dembele losing the ball because of the pitch, where the ball just got a little bit out of control, out of the way where it wouldn't normally bounce. And so I'm fully for making an excuse about the pitch in Dembele this week, and we'll see how it plays out over the coming weeks. Where do I even start? I mean, the thing with Dembele, I really wanted him to come last summer. Like a lot of uh, Kules, uh, I lived in like a 60-day anxiety, like on, on, on the verge of an anxiety attack, attack over 60 days, wondering what we're going to do with our team. Then when we finally got Dembele, who I'd already wanted a year before that, uh, before he went off to Dortmund, I was like, okay, great, we got our guy. All of the reasons why he did not play well last year have already been talked about. Let's not get into that. Then, um, but it, there was cause for concern, even amongst uh, the people who really like this kid, such as myself. Then, when he played for France, he did not have a good World Cup either. So I was a little bit nervous, and then especially with the whole um, toxic media environment in Barcelona, where they were talking about selling him, and a lot of fans here uh, were were echoing this and say, yeah, no, if we can get 100 million back, then uh, we should sell him, which it's absolute madness if you ask me for him to show up in the Supercopa and forget about the goal forget forget about the goal because even before he scored in the Supercopa the whole game for the first time that we watched this guy in Barcelona for the first time it looked as if he actually had an idea of what he was doing on the pitch the whole last season even though he had flashes of brilliance he always looked lost didn't know what he was supposed to do no confidence when he had the ball he would try things if they didn't work, you could see that it affected him. Uh, the camp now never booed him, but they did kind of like grumble sometime or, 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 or groan or let it know that, you know, they were not happy. Uh, so there was this nervousness around him when he, when he was on the pitch and against the Supercopa. He was just focused. He did not lose the ball. He moved in an intelligent way. Uh, and we saw that against Alaves also, even though he missed the scoring opportunity. But I did not care about that because he looked as if he knew what he was doing and that more than anything was extremely encouraging now against Valladolid the second half the second half looks very much like the Dembele that we had seen the whole season previous where he loses the ball in the most ridiculous ways possible but it's one half and he's 20 years old this guy has so much so much talent and so much natural to play the ball with his left foot and his right foot the way he does it's it's a very unique skill set the way that he can uh, stop at the drop of a dime and just switch directions. You don't really see that. You don't really see any other players play like this uh, and do the things that he does. And he's a delight. He's a delight to see. He's, he's fun to see. I love having him on our team, and I'm really encouraged by what, what he's showing so far. People do need to remember that he's 20 years old. And I, I told people here in Barcelona, look, imagine that you're at De La Faux at 20 years old playing like this. Then how would you feel? Different story. They'd, they'd be in love with him, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I I think that you should look at Dembélé and not. We should not even care if he had a 
if he ha- has a bad season this season, we should have Dembélé and keep him for when he's 23 and 24 because he keeps developing. Now, of course, for him to, to develop, he must be in an environment that allows him to develop. So if there's too much negativity around him, he won't, uh, which is why it's, uh, it's so incredibly encouraging that he's playing well right now. And even in the game in which the second half he played poorly, and that first half he had that um, um, that ball that he had to square to Suarez or shoot at goal, and he just squared it off into Never Neverland. And I thought, oh man, the media is going to kill him. And then the second half he played horrible, but he scored that goal, and that made everything okay. And everybody's like, wow, he had an amazing game. He didn't, but I'm very happy that he scored the goal. Um, because it looks like he's going to be given the time to succeed. It also looks like Ernesto Valverde wants him to succeed, which I was not at all convinced of last season. We should thank our lucky stars that Chelsea did not affect, uh, did not accept the the bid for William, because then I don't know if Valverde would play Dembélé, he'd just play William. Um, it looks like Messi wants him to succeed, because that's another thing that I noticed that... Um, Messi and Dembele seem to find each other a lot easier than than previously, even in short combinations. And this is also something that I kind of have a feeling that um, it's not just Balverde coaching him, it's Messi coaching him as well. Like, where do I want you to move? How do we play together? So all of that is a positive. Now, as for the left or the right side, I don't really think it matters much to Dembele where he plays. Uh, what matters more is who he plays with and what we've seen in the last couple of games is that um, those uh, those times that Jordi Alba makes that overlapping run Dembele finds him very easily and we have not seen that on the right now this might be because it's a new season and he's more integrated or it might be because he has a better natural understanding with Jordi Alba but um, every game so far uh, he's found Jordi Alba very easily um, making that deep run on the left so it might be better for him to play on the left um, just because of the people that he plays with yeah I think that's where I see the, the future of of where he uh, of, of where he's going to line up for the for the squad just to get the most playing time and get the most out of him um, and then we also again want to also mention that Malcolm is constantly going to be an option off the bench and I think he's another guy that we're going to have to remind people constantly that when you see him on the field he's still young and you know he's still a new toy so people get excited about him but even if he struggles and it takes time for him to integrate um again being a young winger playing for Barcelona it's it's something that you know they can say oh you should just play like Pedro and that's the best way that you're going to fit in with Messi and fit in with a midfield that does what it does and so Dembele and Malcolm being different guys that were were not really used to at Barcelona it's going to take them time to get acclimated well speaking of the future I guess this could be the near future as well. Barcelona, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, at the beginning, we talked a little bit of how people could get to know you and see some of your work. But again, I want to give you the platform just to let people know where they can find you and what's kind of, uh, what, what are some of the things you have cooking right now? Uh, well, where you can find me if you come to the camp now. I'm in Boca 213, so you can find me there. Um, if not, you can find me on Twitter, at Barcelona. Um, you can also find me doing um, doing podcasts or Zcast or YouTube uh, videos uh, often live with uh, with my friends on the Kule Corner. And um, if I'm very generous with my time, I might 
write something on the Barcelona football blog with uh, the incredible Kevin Williams. So those are some of the things that uh, that I'm up to. Um, my Twitter account is fun. I do not hold back, uh, but I do respect uh, everybody that I interact with. So um, I'm always open to shoot some views back and forth. Yeah, that's what's what I said to my wife. I said, you know, when we look at the people uh, who, I, again, I, I discussed to try to have on the show, uh, you were a name that I said, you know, he's definitely an unmissable opinion, but he's not a troll. He's not one of the ones that is trying to create some negativity, but he certainly is a guy that speaks his mind, and it's always well-informed. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Again, for episode 100, we thank you again for listening, all you out there, for the Barcelona podcast. Again, hit the show notes. You can check out all different places you can find us on social media or on our Patreon to help me make more shows and continue this moving along. Until next time, though, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Pista Barca. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreements. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.